Welcome to Function, a podcast about art and engineering. I am your host, Tom. And I'm your host, Micah. Hi, Micah. Hey, Tom. Tell me uh, tell me what's been up lately. Well, I've been back to my old tricks, and I've been measuring pencils again. Measuring pencils. Yes. Me- measuring attributes of pencils, measuring... What, what are you measuring about pencils? Well, I'm not measuring... Well, I'm sort of measuring how much I like them. Uh, I do that anyway. Right. But I measure what kind of mark they leave. All right. And so I'm doing that with the AxiDraw, which is a machine that can reproducibly make marks on the page because it's a machine. Right. And now we talked about that in Function 4, I believe. We did. And so so if you don't know what an AxiDraw is, you can listen to Function 4. And by putting a constant weight on the pencil and, and moving it around, I got these nice lines and I was able to compare different pencils. And that was fun. Uh, for Reve- example, Revealing in some ways? Yes, it was revealing. For example, a Blackwing 602 and a Statler 2B are remarkably similar. Interesting. Yes, they, it is. And, and it makes you wonder if the cores come from the same place. It, it does make one wonder, although... The core get in place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is Statler because I think they sell cores to a lot of companies. Okay. Or... They buy them from the same, same source, place. right? Yeah, so it could be, but I I wasn't sure, and so I wanted to make sure. Mm-hmm. Now, did you suspect that before you did your more standardized test with the Axi Draw? Not at all. All right. No, I thought they were two completely different things, felt different, looked different. Well, yeah, part of it is just because when you're actually using it and feeling it, you have so many other attributes that you're observing that yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it's the experience is different than removing that human variable from it there is a lot of human variable in it <laughs> um well and one is just the the eraser on the top sure uh because it makes the top it makes it a little top heavy when you did your test did you chop your pencils all to a similar length or weight or leave them in their native form i left them in their native form i did not want to defile my beautiful black wing pencil <laughs> by chopping its head off that would be barbaric but it, in the name of science. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose I could I could move that ferrule. This is yes, called the ferrule. ferrule. That, that little metal part at the top that holds the eraser on and yes. it goes to the wood is called the ferrule. Ferrule? Can, ferrule, yes. And ferrule. You could, you could make it, um, you could make one of the uh, hackwing projects and transfer it to a statler to be. Yeah, I could. Yeah. And then I could paint it. Uh, <laughs> In your paint booth. That's right. Using we, very expensive paint. We could do like a like a moonburst finish or something. Ooh. Make it real sexy. Yeah, we could make like twenty dollar pencils. We could. We? I I wonder if anyone would buy one. I bet you they would. Especially custom. if you had your branding on it. That's right. We could make a custom pencil. If you get like a a special paint painted finish on your guitar, you get coordinated pencil. Wow. And there might be like three other people on earth besides me that would think that was cool. No, I, I think that I think you need that. I need that I'll yeah, to yeah, develop I, that I, product. I think line. That, that, yeah, that that it needs, needs to, to happen. A, yeah, it needs to be a thing in the world. We'll, 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 maybe we'll make that a thing. Olympic pencil. A pencil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it could be a it could be a business model for the podcast because where true. else would you We're, learn about the fact that you could get an Olympic pencil? That's true, and they would have to you'd have to get it through the podcast, of course. Yeah, that'd be or the, buy a guitar. Right. Well, that's true. And then it would be a custom pencil that would match the guitar, 
right? Right. You, would, you could take design elements out of the guitar and apply it to right. the pencil. But you wouldn't want to like put inlays on it or anything. No, inlay yeah. would be bad, but That'd you could bad. you could actually remember what you did and then when they ran out of the pencils, you could have a very expensive replacement box of pencils <laughs> that would continue to match continue, the guitar. Continue, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's like you could have a $100 box of pencils there and it would nobody would Wouldn't be the high. first $100 box of pencils. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's not it's, it's, it's not, not unheard of. It's not be, it's not something you're inventing. No. Um, no, it just making people happy and it's still a lot cheaper than the pen guys yeah the pen guys they they have to spend a lot more when, when it comes to pens i have a very i have a i have a limit i haven't been able to spend more than like i i can't buy that uh lily put fire blue pen as pretty as it is because it's more than a hundred dollars and i just i'm oh it's because it won't fit your hand there's that too but just because it's pretty i would want it Oh, and, I see. Yeah. But because I'm slightly disorganized, I try to be organized. But I, I could, if I lost a hundred dollar pen or more, I would, I think I would cry, literally cry. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just saving my bad, future self it? from sorrow. Mm, from pen remorse. Pen, pen lost sorrow. Lost pen remorse. It would be bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a, that sounds worse than what we were discussing earlier this week, which is. Pencil uniqueness disappointment. Right. Or the blessed, or the, the hard curse of, of PUD. PUD, yes. Yes. Yeah. And that was because the Statler 2B being remarkably like the Blackwing 602, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that uniqueness. So I wanted what, to prove that sort of mathematically. Right. So what's your, what's your technique? Well, I, I figured the way to do it is to make an image that I could put in a computer and then do image processing in order to show the similarity mathematically mm-hmm. to show that they really were quite similar. So I put it on the scanner and I cranked up the resolution all the way to 1200 dots per inch, uh, which may or may not actually be a thing because it may be interpolating it, or right. something that may not have all that resolution. But I turned it all the way up and I made a, a TIFF all right. So and no 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 compression losses. Yes. And then I blew the picture way up so I could see the pixels. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed was that the pixels were not on a grayscale particular. Mm. They were they had a lot of colors in them, different colors. And I figure that's probably almost all error right. in the measurement because they really ought to be gray cuz I don't I don't think that it was a color pencil uh, or a rainbow pencil or anything like that and so rather now they were all kind of dim pastel colors they weren't like bright red or anything like that but there were you know pinks and greens and yellows in there and I, I thought, so well, that's, that's so colors right. that would be more like iridescent no they were like uh, pastels range. so uh, yeah but the air like in in um cloud crystals mm-hmm. they get this kind of pastel-y iridescence to them if there's yeah. any the crystalline structure of graphite is not particularly, you know, yeah, it's not, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any iridescence you can attribute to that. Well, that got me curious about it. And so okay. I thought, well, I need to verify this with another technique. All right. Uh, so the first technique was I got out of a microscope and I looked at the pencil underneath the, okay. under the microscope and I didn't see those colors. All right. And then. So maybe the optics in your scanner too. Yeah. I think the scanner is not the is not really designed for 
this sort of microscope type mm -hmm. application. Uh, so I thought, well, this is this is driving me towards wanting to buy a, a microscope and uh, one with a really nice camera on it that can take high resolution pictures. And I wanted one for a while, but the problem is I can't decide what kind of microscope to mm. get because I need like four different kinds of microscopes. Yeah. And pretty soon you're talking real money and then they take a lot of space. They do. I mean, I, I have a stereo, I have two stereo microscopes. So, um, if you want to play around with them, you're welcome to, but I don't have any camera yeah, accessories have, for them. Yeah. That's my problem too, is I have had access to several microscopes, but without the ability to capture an image, then I can't do my computer analysis right. of, of what I got there, which is going to be key because I want to make it objective. Well, you know, we don't actually have to have, we just have to find, um, a good friend of ours that has a, uh, or that already has this equipment that we can just use. Yeah. We need access to just it. Access. We, don't, we don't need to own it. Right. Although it would be fun to own it. Yeah. I'm sure we would look at lots of things. Well, one of the things that's really good, because I, I was thinking more about, you know, what is this graphite stuff? And it really is, uh, you know, it's this carbon crystal that's in these sheets, and it's really a semiconductor. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're getting more and more application in electrical engineering as carbon as a semiconductor is more common now. Some of the LEDs are silicon carbide, for example, the blue LEDs. And that got me thinking, um, okay, so I'm looking at a semiconductor laid down on a paper substrate. And the microscope that people like for that is called a metallurgical microscope. And that is uh, a fancy microscope where the light that shines on the subject is actually piped through the lens of the, uh, of the microscope. Hmm. And so the microscope, you don't need a, like a big bright light off to the side. And, and it doesn't work to have a bright light underneath the thing like in a biology microscope. Um, because the Your paper sections aren't thin enough. Well, yeah, the paper doesn't pass enough light through it for that to work very well. Uh, and if the light's off to the side, then you get all the weird bounces and reflections and everything. So you really want the light to come from so above more direct. Yeah. Uh, or at least that's an interesting way to look at it because you can see, you know, you know where the light's coming from. One it's less variable right above. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a, a metallurgist microscope, and they use that for looking at uh, integrated circuits. Uh, there are these great websites that show, well, people open up old integrated circuits and photograph the uh, circuitry, and then they talk about it and they draw a schematic of it and show you know, what, what the circuit is and how it was designed and that sort of thing. That's a whole, that's a whole hobby now. Mm -hmm. um, I'll have to put a link in there I in, think, yeah, in I, the notes. I feel that. like you showed that at a pearl meeting yeah i think i did yes <laughs> I, yes i'm You've having some before. deja vu right yes. now yeah i've talked about it before it, it's an interesting hobby so this metallurgical microscope is the key to it because you get really nice pictures that pick up the contrast uh, on what are otherwise fairly dull metallic surfaces that don't show a lot of variation in them so i guess metallurgists want to look at the grain size of their metals and so forth and, right. and they really care about the exact details of, of metals. All right, and so, so we have to put on the, the to-do list to locate an available metallurgist's microscope. Right, right. Does okay. eBay count? I'm going to put it on my to-do list. Okay. <laughs> that special list? I got, I got the list. <laughs> the show list, the show to-do list. It's the master list, actually. Oh, okay. All right. 
yeah, I need access to a metallurgist microscope so I can look at these crystals, which I think are semiconductors, and I need to be able to get pictures out of it and then make proper imagery. But I thought another approach would be, what if I made a scale model? What if I had a really huge pencil and a really huge piece of paper? And then I could just take a picture with an ordinary camera uh, that I already own. And so I got out my 5.62 millimeter pencil and I thought, well, how do you scale up the texture of paper? And so I got the watercolor paper. Okay. Out because it, it's all bumpy. Right. And so I drew with a pencil, with a huge pencil on this watercolor paper. Did you use your Axie draw? I did not. Okay. Uh, this is just my first test run. All right. And I have it right here. And I used this Strathmore Vision watercolor paper that I bought at Riley Street. And it has uh, customize your cover. So I guess you're supposed to rip off this top page with the branding of the Strathmore. And then there's this gray page where you can you can express Draw yourself. Draw your own cover. Nice. And then there is All this, right, here uh, it is. this test. And so we'll get a we'll get photos of this test in because I took a bunch of photos of it and it photographs surprisingly well. I used uh, actually the camera in my iPad uh, can focus quite close. Ah. And I haven't processed the images yet. And of course they'll be compressed because phone cameras are bad that way. They don't do raw. So I'll probably want to get a a real camera with a close up lens. I can, can do raw. I, I have a good I have a good uh, you have a good camera close. with a nice macro lens that's exactly what we need is we need to get the macro going yeah i got i got you covered all right so we'll get the the uncompressed raw file and process that out of your macro lens and so what i noticed is that i can see when we look closely enough Mm -hmm. i can see the texture where the pencil you know rides above the little crease inside the paper and you get a white spot and if you press harder, then the pencil tends to go down into that valley and fills it in. You get up like blending or? When you hold it, what do you call it when you hold the pencil to the side? The shading. Okay. You know, where where you're trying to get a really broad stroke. Uh, that works really well. And then I also found that if you take the pencil apart, uh, you take the lead out, you get a nice little pile of graphite. <laughs> and... And the little pile of graphite was actually pretty interesting, too, as a thing to photograph. All right, yeah. So I got a picture of that, and then I couldn't resist uh, to seeing how it would smear out. So I I made a nice smear. From the of, pile? From the pile, yeah. And then I took a picture of that. I'm pretty happy with it now. And then I thought, well, I'm just drawing straight lines, and what about how does the orientation of the paper change the, the thing? And so then I... I did some circles and, and other shapes to try to understand the effect of the orientation on the paper. But I think that's a difference with the watercolor paper is that it has more of a random bumpiness. Whereas regular paper, I've noticed when I look really closely, it has like an orientation to it. There's like a weave where when you draw a line, there's actually a lot of really sort of periodic choppy lines. Yeah, it's probably from the pressing and rolling, you know, they have uh, in the processing of the paper yeah there's definitely I, I didn't realize it but there's a directionality to it and the directionality is lined up with the sheet it's not you know off at some random angle they they make it go up and down right which is cool and but totally i 
never thought about it before. Well, now you're making observations. So what did you have any um, observations about orientation or from your different your photographic tests compared just to your visual test? Did you did you learn anything? I haven't actually looked at the pictures closely oh, okay. enough to really That'll be the next to really find out. Well, I, and and I want to I just did some by hand. I haven't used the axi draw okay. to make it reproducible. And so I, when I do the math, I want to do that on the axi draw. At first I was just seeing what kind of mark it would leave and mm-hmm. whether or not this was a crazy idea or not, which obviously it is. It's a question of is it a crazy idea I like? Right. <laughs> is it and uh, is it a crazy idea with reproducible results? Yes. Yes. So. And and uh, how do, how does that all work out? So after pencils, um, we had discussed a little bit earlier in the week that we might think about erasers yes. a little bit. And I see that you brought a device. I brought an electric eraser. An erasing device. What is this? This is something I found in a trash can, which is my favorite <laughs> spot to get office supplies. It is a Pierce power cord. I don't know why they called it a power cord. It, but it is a registered trademark of Pierce, power cord. So I guess if you want to use the phrase power cord, you got to pay Pierce if you're making an electric eraser <laughs> uh, or other office supply. And so let's see, it makes noise. Uh, quite a bit of noise, actually. That's a loud eraser. It is, and uh, it's it's got some heft to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a decent sized thing. It's a big handheld thing. It looks like a, like an electric screwdriver. And I thought it was a Dremel when you brought it in. Oh, uh, yeah, it looks Dremel-y. And it's got a, uh, a spot for uh, a, a little, what do you call that thing at the end? The chuck or whatever? Yeah, the, I guess it's a it's a it's like a collet or a, a chuck. A collet, yeah, a collet. That's what it is. Well, it does a splendid job okay, erasing. Okay, it still works. I just did a yeah. test. Okay. And so I put a nice fresh eraser in it because when I found it in the trash, it had an old eraser in it. That was hard. Yeah, it was. Not... It was, and it was. Yeah, it was. So did you use one anymore. of these kind of polymer? Yeah, I used a white polymer eraser uh, that I got from one of those little sets of polymer erasers that you get that come with a little handle. Oh right, yeah. I think this is. I I found a refill for it, and I think that's the same one. Right. So I could just use a refill or uh, the little hand thing. It's just a. It's a great tool, actually, to have. Everybody should have one of these little handles that holds one of these stick. Uh, it's about the size of a pencil, a short pencil, uh, and it's a it's a great way to erase things. Yeah, I um, think I think the one the ones that I have are um, a Pentel click eraser. Yes, yeah, that's a great one. And um, they're pretty ubiquitous, easy to find. Yeah, and not expensive, and everyone should have one. Oh, I've got yeah. Click eraser Z E dash two one. Yeah, that's the one. Great choice. So and yeah, it clicks out nicely, and you can erase like crazy. At some point, I paid a dollar fifty for this. Wow. Okay. So I don't know if that's a. That probably came with like three eraser sticks for that. Maybe. Uh, it probably came with two refills and this plastic thing. Uh, something like that anyway. Although maybe this is a fancy one. No, this looks pretty... It looks pretty standard. It's made in Japan. It's Pentel. I brought I brought out a couple of other erasers just because cool. we were thinking erasery. Um, I am a huge fan of the Mars Plastic yes. Statler eraser. Um, I have these in every 
thing that I carry pencils in on every desk that I frequent and piles of them in drawers. So you're just leaking yeah. Mars plastic. I never yeah. want to not have one. Right. My mother right. is the same about the Magic Rub eraser for her artwork. Now, what's the difference? Um, well, if you feel it, it's not as dense. Oh, this is more like a gum eraser? It's, but not quite a gum. It's a, yeah. interesting. It's it's messy. It leaves ah. a lot of debris, but it it's very gentle to paper, it's, especially fine art papers. It's crumbly. Yeah. More, more crumbly. Yeah, but it but it does a really good job of erasing. Okay. And it probably doesn't leave any graphite lying around because it all is in the crumbles. Right, it all gets in the crumbles and like I said it's it's very kind to the surface of the paper. I mean, I I find that the plastic erasers are very kind, but maybe I'm not very heavy-handed, but I know some people find that these can mar the paper some or leave like a almost like a burnished line if you have a real she does watercolors so yeah well I, i've the definitely texture. messed some things up with the mars plastic but not as much as as like a regular pencil eraser right yeah they still are a little rough every now and then this one is a little harder than the mars so that's a sanford design 2000 plastic eraser oh that is kind of hard yeah yeah that's almost like a pencil eraser that, except in a big stick right that one is nice when um i'm doing a drawing where i have to go back and really like if you want to use an eraser shield or something mm. i like that eraser quite a bit it's stiff yeah standard art gum yeah now the art gum eraser that's kind of this orange color like light brown and these make a huge mess. <laughs> they do. They're, it's comical. <laughs> they make such a big mess that you just have to laugh. It's like, wow, I got my art all over myself here. And <laughs> you feel like you really done something because you got dirty while you were right while you're making art, and so it makes you want to like have a smock and like maybe a little artist hat, you know, a beret. Right. You need a beret, and, so, and yeah. you need to definitely just wear a palette. On yeah. one hand. Yeah, you just like, even if you're using pencils, you need right. a palette. You yeah, do. yeah. And and they yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you wanna you wanna get a beret to go with that. You can get the Pentel eraser and the magic rub and I don't know if you can get the Mars plastic, but you can often get them in the pencil form, the peel off pencil like the uh China markers. Yeah, this looks like a grease pencil. Right. And, and so it's got the cool little string, and so you pull the string back one click, and then you get some of the uh, paper wrap. Wine, yeah. yeah, the paper wrap unravels around it, and it it, it always reminded me of um, caps. Oh right, you know, yeah. The little, <laughs> you know, you'd hit the caps with a hammer, or if you had a little toy gun, they would they go bang bang, and so a cap gun, and so somehow this. Maybe it was the same period of my life when I was <laughs> unrolling caps and playing with grease pencils. Somehow it it was it's very satisfying to unroll it. It is right. It's 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 funny that it's such a it's a very it seems like a simple very low tech thing, but it's very I don't know I find it very appealing. So I I like to have one of those. Those are good just to have in my pencil bag. Yeah, I, I want to use it just to wear it down so right. that I can peel the next. <laughs> well, piece that's off that of it. means that you're getting work done. I see. Right? Okay. Or you can in you this can case, see or just playing. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe maybe this would 
be a good excuse to test erasers is in, because in I would get to draw. do a lot of this. Yeah, I want to I want to load up the axi draw yeah. because this is perfect for the axi draw because the little holder, the click eraser would be good too because it'll it'll fixture up. Um, but it's got some details on it in the plastic that that might I don't know if they'll go well in the axi draw or not. You just have to try it. But this yeah, one, so this one this is a grease pencil format is really is that nice. one a uni is it a mitsubishi this is a mitsubishi and it is a uni super eraser super eraser it says so right yeah there. so you can have that for the test and i will get you Ooh. i have i have another like i said i think i have the magic rub in the same form now this one is blue so does it ever leave any blue on the page i've never had it leave a blue mark okay so it's it, so. it seems to be essentially a plastic eraser or some sort of polymer okay it's a fun one well the the material i mean it's just about the same size as a as a pencil eraser it's just the diameter is just slightly less than a regular pencil eraser and uh and that's yeah that looks this is going to be great. And did I'll have you, to give it a try. And did you notice the pencil that you were oh, comparing? Oh, the pencil. That's a, oh, yeah. I placed my jet pens order and asked asked Tom if he wanted to throw anything on the order. Since And I did. I wanted a smooth writing pencil for office use, which is a Mitsubishi 9850 HB. That's the only... That's the only hardness in a 9850. That's this is the pencil in Japan, from what I've heard. This is the standard. This is kind of their their Ticonderoga, uh, except for the fact that it's nicer. It's uh, such a pretty color. So it, this is maroony wine. Yeah. Red. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it it makes you so hungry just looking at it's it. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got a white eraser on it. And, and it looks special to us, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not yellow. Yeah, I'll have to look at at the at a Japanese cartoon featuring school children again and see if I can find them using this color pencil. Spot um, the. There's a lot of that out there. <laughs> a lot of the. They have a lot of cartoons about school kids. Some of them are pretty good. Good ghost stories and so forth. They always seem to be moving to a new town where there's ghosts, uh, and uh, or finding them out in the country. That's finding the other. spirit. That's like uh, spirited away in my neighbor Totoro. Yes, yes, that's my neighbor a... Totoro. Yeah, that's a really that's a classic. I really like that. That's a good one. Um, so I will have to re-examine and see if I can spot the 9850. But yeah, so now you've now you've got your very own. Yeah, yeah. Here I'll put it on my side of the table <laughs> right. here with my loot. Now I, I have a, a request that's that actually could incorporate an eraser. Um, and what I want is an object that I think it exists, but maybe I want one maybe with a few features that nobody's thought of yet. And so tell me if this thing exists because I was I was wanting to carry this pencil and I didn't have a shirt pocket that I could use. And I didn't want to put it in my pants pocket because pencils leave a hole in your pocket or oh. they stab you. You have your choice. Right. Um, neither one are good. So I, I wanted some sort of like a metal cap to go over the end of the pencil so I could put it in my pocket. It exists. And I want to be able to pull that cap off 
and put it around the top side of the pencil, like one without an eraser on it, like a like a, one of the Staedtler um, pencils and one of their blue pencils. And then I want it to sit on there and have an eraser on oh. the end. Hmm. Now and then I want there's something special that I want, and I I don't know that this has been done. I want it to fit really snug. And when you and what I want is when you slide the pencil into the little cap, I want it to hiss. <laughs> because I want it to make a good airtight seal and then there'd be a little hole in there somewhere. And it would make a little hissing sound as or maybe even a whistle as you <laughs> as you slid it in. And and then as you post it, you know, you turn around the other side, it, it'll do the same thing on the other side. And there's two reasons I want that. One is so that I know that it's on properly and that it fits mm-hmm. and, and I'm not fiddling with it um, because I heard it. And the other is because that would be cool. <laughs> right. You have uh, to have the audio experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. I want it to sound like something. And so I need like a really act. And I was thinking about the materials you could use to do that. And, and I don't think it would be impossible to make that work uh, I to think get the, a good seal. I think the hardest thing is the variability of the diameters of the pencils. So you'd need, because they are slightly different. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so trying to get the seal and good enough, you might yeah. have to have a collection well, or, or it would have some compliance, right? Like it would be rubber or something. Okay. Yeah, some sort thinking, of a gasket or Yeah, I would think it would be rubbery. Yeah. So it would make a good seal that way too. This rubber would be good as a seal. And so I, I was imagining like a, like a piece of rubber, like a gasket that was hexagonal. Is that what pencils are? Yeah, they're hexagonal. <laughs> they're not octagonal. <laughs> a hexagonal on the inside and then the the outside of it would probably be round so that it could just go into a churned piece of metal you know to make the sleeve right because the if if it would be hard to make the inside of the metal be hex because i don't have a hexagonal drill right (laughs) um but you can pretty easy turn a piece of metal uh with a regular drill or and, you know, turn the outside on like a lathe and then the inside you can just drill and you could have this little cap. So what, what do you think? Is that, is this, a, is this a new category? This is I new think it's a category. new category. Yeah. I mean, definitely with the audio component. Um, but I know, I mean, I have, I have metal pencil caps. They tend to be, the ones that I have are stamped hmm. um, and they have a slit on either side. So you can actually gently resize them and make them fit and the bottom has a roll so it's not just bare metal so it's you know kind to your fingertips but i've never seen one that has a pencil eraser integrated with it so i've never seen that and then of course that really excellent coupling idea i don't think i've ever seen that so sounds like something to another thing to make yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've noticed, you know, if you can get somebody to pay twenty dollars for a pencil sharpener or more, who would ever do that? <laughs> a little brass pencil sharpener that uh, was special. Yes. I was thinking this thing. Now, what is this thing called? Oh, our the, what, what the pencil we, cap. What have I eraser? invented here? What have you invented? You've invented the eraser anywhere. 
anytime? I don't know. Are no, we... I mean, what's the thing called the cap that you have? Pencil cap. Pencil cap. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I think it, it can be simple. I think it doesn't, just pencil cap. You don't have to make it any harder than it needs to be. Pencil cap, but it's but it's special. Special pencil cap. It's a special pencil cap. Well, I, I like special. Uh, so. so, yeah, that sounds great. So I have a friend who has a, a full set of lathes and so forth, and all I need to do is bring a chunk of brass over and then start turning it. Yeah, you could uh, also, it might also not be bad to do it in wood. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. You know, and uh, you could make it, wouldn't be as heavy, probably. Could which... make it also be a flute, like a slide whistle. <laughs> you could. <laughs> yeah. Double, it could have a little taping. mouthpiece on it. All right, now you're just getting silly. <laughs> <laughs> or a whistle, like a dog whistle, except a slide dog whistle. A slide dog whistle <laughs> duck call. <laughs> duck call? No, I, that'd be a reeded thing, right? Is it, duck calls have a reed I in think them? they do. Or yeah. And sometimes, well, there's different, there's the... Is it a duck call? I have I have one that's like a bird. Maybe it's just for bird general. It's got mm-hmm. a um. It's like a cylindrical piece of wood with a metal plunger that you put rosin on and you twist, and it makes kind of tweety. Oh. Bird attracting. So it's sounds. A, a tweeting sound as opposed to like the. Yeah, it's not a quacker. It doesn't quack. Yeah. I think it's a songbird emulator. I I didn't realize there was so much to duck calls until I talked to a duck call guy mm-hmm. you know he was uh and he was explaining the meanings of the different calls and so when you're hunting you would actually oh because you talk have to, you're talking yeah yeah you're talking duck and so he was talking about the chuckling sound which is the sound that ducks make when they find food oh well that's probably a sound that you want the ducks that you're hunting to find that's to right here and so uh he he demonstrated i won't i won't try to do it especially without a duck call but he Thank demonstrated you. the <laughs> <laughs> the duck chuckle uh and sure enough when you go to the lake or whatever and you go to feed the ducks they'll they'll make that you sound can hear you that. can get them to make that sound you, yeah. you can probably imagine that sound right now because you've all done it so you can hear I, I think i can recall the the duckle yeah yeah that's the one uh so it's a it's yeah it's definitely one of the classic duck sounds uh yeah duck calls so I know that I've seen over the years, you've had a, a lot of different ideas for laboratory notebooks mm-hmm. um, and keeping notes. Yes. I always imagine that I want my notebooks to be these beautiful, when I'm done with it, something I'm so beautiful, I want to show and you, you envision it's going to be like Leonardo da Vinci's notebooks, which he probably thought were crap, but we all look at and are enamored of it. And so, do you have to do anything? Are you into loose leaf notebooks for that? Are you into laboratory notebooks, which are bound and numbered pages? Sometimes you have to, you know, do your um, development in that type of a book for patent and legal reasons. Right. So, do you have any? Do you ever have any notebook anxiety? Uh, yes, I definitely do because the kind of notebook that I used for a long time that I thought was really great is actually not very good. Uh, and you sort of find out when they fall apart and they're not acid free paper and Mm -hmm. things get ugly. 
but I have other notebooks that I use that were really good. Um, my favorite ones, uh, it's sort of a family tradition to use, are these, these, they look like they're leather, they're really not. They look like leather bound and they're legal um, notebooks is what they really mm -hmm. are. So it's this ruled paper with a margin that's about a third of the way across the page. And I have no idea what that margin is for. I think maybe you do some writing on there and then have a spot for notes off to mm -hmm. the side of your writing because it's like some sort of two-pass operation. I use those in school right? Uh, as my regular notebooks. And these had numbered pages also. Actually, some of the professors found them to be intimidating. Uh, they referred to, One of them referred to my notes as the legal record. <laughs> and, oh, and, and that was the other thing is I would write down their jokes the professor's jokes I would write down in the back of the book. And it turned out that they really didn't like that. Um, professors don't want you to steal their jokes because uh -huh. that's a big part of their, um, you know, what makes them special is right. they reuse them all it's the time. It's part of their shtick. Yeah, yeah. They don't want you to steal their material. And so I have all these, I still have these notebooks and they have they have the shtick in the back of them. Some of which are really great. I'll, I'll share someday, but, uh, or not. <laughs> So I used those for a while, and I used those at work some. They had these lab notebooks, they called them, that, that were issued. Right. Like they were numbered and issued, and the pages were numbered, and, and it has directions to sign each page and to get somebody else to witness them. Right. It says read and understood by and all of this, and it was – then they were to be sent – when you were done, the project was finished, you were supposed to send them to the library, and they would archive them and that sort of thing. And it was a very official – a lot of pomp and circumstance around the notebooks. I wrote in a couple of pages of one of them uh, and didn't really didn't really like it. I didn't really comply. Uh, and later I found that there were great piles of them just in dumpsters. Uh, they didn't actually archive, archive them, them or right. or preserve them in any way. The whole process was very disappointing. Uh, well, the library went away uh, on the on-site library anyway, and it had a bunch of things in it a bunch of people's notebooks and they just I think they just ran out of room at one point and they put things up for grabs and then I forget what they said they were doing with the notebooks but it was something very official but they were never to be seen again and of course you don't know what's in them because they're not indexed anywhere right so unless you knew what you were looking for you'd never have a way to get to them again uh, so that's that's all uh, so I never really did that I used uh, engineering paper and put them in binders right and that that worked pretty well I still have a whole bunch of binders from like the 80s and 90s engineering work that I did and then I got pretty bad at it so I went to back to hardbound I bought these black lined books uh, just real cheap I think they were like three dollars for a, a book and they were the ones that were in the aisle at uh i think it was borders mm. uh in santa rosa there was a borders bookstore and as you walked in they had all these blank books all oh stacked right up. they were like as soon as you walked in they were confronting you yes yes you were confronted with like why aren't you writing and right. so i i bought and i got all the same color which was probably a mistake too i got all black because i thought they looked cool and i wrote in them with black pen Mm -hmm. And so I have all these really uh, with a black rollerball. And that's where I first started getting sort of disappointed in the performance of my office supplies was because I would get skipping and that sort of thing. And I didn't really like the way the pens worked. Yeah. See, I always thought that you had, at least when I first saw your notebooks, you had these black notebooks that I thought were just the art, like the the standard kind of black art 
notebooks that you get at the art supply store with blank pages. Yeah, I think those are probably the lined ones. Okay. Uh, and then I and then I switched back to pretty much to engineering paper or actually I just I just use blank uh, copier paper mm-hmm. now. Uh, I just go to the copy machine and and open the door and pull off a Find stack that, and, right. and walk away. Uh, and that's that's office supplies now is whatever can be replenished. You know, whatever you can mine right, out of a, a printer is pretty much <laughs> office supplies these days. So I just take that paper and uh, and write on it with typically with a pencil. Mm-hmm. And then if I find something I really like, I scan it. Right. Uh, and then it becomes a computer thing. Uh, yeah, I find I find that I'm uh, I have a lot less notebook anxiety for the loose leaf style because if you make a mistake or something doesn't work out, it doesn't remind you of it every time you open the book of that bad day. Yeah, it's it's a punishing kind of a thing. And then I I've, I've taken up I carry field notes in my back pocket. They've actually uh, helped me get over a lot of my notebook anxiety. Um, because I, I try to, I try to, I get a field note. I keep one in my back pocket at all times or usually three. And the first thing I do is I will write something on the front page, whatever, I don't know, some quote or something. This one says challenges are not a curse. Okay. All right. And then, then I can write it because it's been ruined. Yes. I try to ruin the notebooks because if they stay blank, and perfect. Oh, that's the worst. It's just, it's it, that's where the anxiety comes from. So I recommend ruining it in some way. And then once it's ruined, it's ruined. Then you can then you can put all sorts of interesting stuff in it. I've I've given people blank notebooks before, like people that I thought had really like took really cool notes or like made cool pictures, but they were just lying around on sheets of paper, and I I wanted them to save them, so I'd give them a blank notebook. Mm-hmm. And and one guy in particular said, oh, this is much too nice to write in. I can't, <laughs> no. I can't write in this. And so I almost grabbed it back and then just like crumpled up the first page and scribbled on it right. and said, here, here you go. Now it's not nice anymore. And if I ever give one again, I'm going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to mess up the first couple of pages. Got to ruin it. Yeah. 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 There was there there was a, there's another opportunity for that sort of a thing that is usually not taken advantage of in engineering. Which goes back to the data sheets, the, the electrical engineering data sheets had to be of a certain length uh, back in the days when they were printed. And so they would typically say this page intentionally left blank right. when they left out, ran out of material. But there was a famous engineer named Jim Williams who would put a doodle on there. And it wasn't like he was a great artist or anything. He just He would just draw something silly and then he would right underneath it they wouldn't let me leave this page blank <laughs> and so that was that was the uh that's another way to ruin it um, right you could in effect write this page intentionally left blank <laughs> on your front page and then you could you could then be safe to go what i like to do is i put my name and the date right on the first page because that's a nice spot to find it because i hardly ever remember to date my notes and so at least i'll know when the notebook started was started yeah yeah on on the field notes that he give you the yeah i don't use that one I, I, to write it in yeah i don't like those i i because i never think to look there so i just write them on the first page and then turn the page and i think i, I, I have one in my back pocket i can check and see what i wrote what did you write when did you start uh, it? i wrote nothing because oh i was too busy to do that 
Uh, but did you leave the first page but blank? But I left it blank. So, yes, yeah. it was intentionally yeah. left blank. I have so to leave the I first can, page blank or... Now I can ruin it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was I was standing in front of somebody writing stuff down, so I didn't want to take the time to yeah, start Yeah, and page. I tried with the little notebooks. I do try to think of them as just, this is my scrap. This is my scratch pad, scratch paper, notes. I right. don't try to make them beautiful. And it's, it's amazing how sometimes just freeing yourself of worrying about making something beautiful it just it actually can just work out that it turns out beautiful because you're not stressing over it yeah i don't think i've ever had anything on field notes come out well (laughs) i I don't think that that i haven't been in any danger of that i've had them be useful and then not be able to find them because they're in an old field notes that is doesn't happen to be in my pocket now here's you know, oh, in, you in the middle of the to-do list. You've got a guitar. i got to draw a little guitar. Yeah. I don't know. This one doesn't have many drawings in it. This is mostly just the list. Oh, yeah. i got a bridge block design. So. Okay. We've got some dimensions, dimensions in Dimensions in it, yeah. But, yeah, so getting, o- getting over the, the notebook anxiety, it's just good to make notes. Just start doing it. Another way to go is to... Just start with blank paper, mm-hmm. and and I've been thinking about how to how to in effect make my own notebooks. I wanna I, I got a little kit for making notebooks. Uh, I got it at Maker Fair actually, and I mean to build the kit and to look and see what they did uh, for how to make a notebook, uh, so that I can reproduce it and make my own. Yeah, uh, my my dad's idea is to take all of his notes that are on loose pieces of paper. And relevant data sheets and whatever scraps, and they're all random sizes of paper, and then bind them later into the project book. Hmm. You know, after you can scan them all, have your electronic version of it, but then have the tangible originals still. And instead of just having them loose in a filing cabinet where they can get lost mm-hmm. and you know separated from each other. We took one course at the um, San Francisco Center for the Book to learn how to do book binding. Cool. That was that was the idea to bring them all together, all these strange pieces and bits and pieces of information, and they're on all different types of paper, and you would never, nothing you would ever publish. It's just so that you have them handy when you need to refer to them again. So would you bind the originals, or would you bind a scan of the, the he want, his, his intention is to bind the originals, um, and that's his the way to keep his archives, mm-hmm. is to keep them bound. So they would stay. When you have little pieces of paper, and sometimes you, you know, if you try to recreate something that you made spontaneously, it, it doesn't have that uh, uh, the feeling that you put into it originally. You can't really transcribe that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, we get emotional about things we make, so uh, we like to keep keep records of all of that. Um, but uh, they would be very they would be books that it wouldn't be for anybody else, so personal books. But learning how to bind them and so they would stay nice. So. Yeah, that's that sounds good. I I've looked before at making my own pads, so I bought a a jar of padding glue. And I made some pads of paper. You got farther than me. It's in. It's on my watch list on eBay. Padding glue. Yeah, it's like. For, I have like a. For like five years, it's been there. I have like a quart <laughs> of it, and I've used like 
a quarter of an ounce. All so, right. Um, you're welcome I, to I all gotta, the padding glue. I got to come over anymore. and, and uh, make some pads. I'll have to. Well, I, I, I'll give you a cup of, of padding glue. You need <laughs> like a like an old peanut butter I'll, jar. I'll or come over like with my Pyrex. Yeah. Yeah. A little cup. Yeah, but... Cup of padding glue. Um, yeah, there's some hard parts to padding. The hard part is the fixturing of the paper, and they make a special fixture for it. You could use wood, mm -hmm. and that would work well. And I think I ended up using basically woodworking clamps. Right, because you go. do have to kind of really clamp it in there. Yeah, and the pages all need to be lined up very precisely along the axis where you're binding. Where you're padding. Yeah, where the padding is. glue goes. Now, the idea behind the padding compound, of course, is that you can tear off a sheet and not tear the paper. Right, and and one sheet at a time. Right, and it's not really bookbinding glue in that sense. Right. It's, it's temporary. And there's other mistakes you can make. There's the backing cardboard, and it's amazing how, you know, if you're a pack rat and you feel bad about throwing away the, the that back piece of cardboard there, I think you should maybe save it for when your padding hobby comes around. <laughs> um, that can be pretty dangerous, but you really need that cardboard. Well, yeah, and and then do you have a guillotine chopper? No, I don't have. You know? a, I don't have the fancy cutter. Because uh, now I have no paper cutter at all, and the one at work is really scary because somebody took off whatever safety <laughs> things were on there, and it is just it's like. It, it makes me really nervous every time I use it. I have two paper cutters at work. I have one that we cut sandpaper on. So sacrificial. You, 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 you don't want to cut paper on uh -huh. it. It's useless. And then I have another one. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember the name, but I'll, I'll look it up. But it's kind of cool because you can put a maybe about 15 sheets of paper and it has a clamp that you can hold it down because usually on the office type of paper cutters you get that you know when you start cutting it it all the papers can shift over right um, that, even one piece will shift and that happens when you go to clamp the paper down when you're doing if you don't have a clamp designed for that purpose when you're doing the padding mm -hmm. because you have, maybe have 50 sheets and you're trying to get them to line up and then you're going to hold them right and so anything that you put on to hold them tends to make them crawl yeah, this one has a uh, a cool little clamp, you know, forced down clamp, so you can make a pretty decent cut. Um, but yeah, I've always wanted to get some better bindery equipment. Just yeah, so you need that clamp that could hold like 50 to a, or 100 sheets mm -hmm. or whatever you want. So you end up with 50 sheets or 100 sheets, and it's clamped. And that clamp, uh, I haven't, I found a few spots to hold. Or, or a few things that are advertised to be this clamp to make your own pads. Mm -hmm. It seemed a little expensive, but then trying to do without it, it seemed like, well, maybe it was a pretty good deal after right. all. There are various mistakes you can make having to do with the order of operations. Like You might find like in a dollar store or something, you'll see pads of paper where there's multiple sheets of cardboard and paper stacked together. Right. And you think to yourself, oh, this is great. You know, it's a dollar and I'll get like five pads of paper. And all I have to do is figure out how to split them apart. <laughs> uh, and it turns out that's hard. <laughs> uh, there's definitely some mistakes you can make. So you want to check your, you want to check online and find some good directions for mm -hmm. how to make a pad. Uh, because it, it, 
it does make a difference uh, what order things go in. And I definitely made mistakes at it uh, and was surprised at, at how difficult it was to recover. So what I wanted was uh, when I was making these pads is I wanted the numbered pages on the pad. Right. And I was getting fancy. I put a QR code. Oh, I remember page. those. It I didn't. Unique. I never saw it in a pad form. I only yeah. saw the loose pages. Right, right. Well, I, I never got around to actually having a pad oh. of, of pages with QR codes on them. But I wrote the software to generate it uh, to make a PDF file with all the, the pages in it. And the idea was that I would scan these when I was done, and then my software would keep track of all the pages because it had the QR code on file it. File it away and... Yeah, put it in. Well, I was going to actually have a website mm-hmm. where each page each page had a URL. Okay. And so the URL was inherent. So if you had that piece of paper, it had a URL that was not only printed on it, but also encoded in the QR code so that you could automatically find it again. And in fact, you could revise it and scan it again was my concept. Oh, yeah. Print it out, revise it, and put it back in. But I didn't have a printer that that I could erase. So now I'm thinking about, well, I, if I use the AxiDraw, I could erase my page. <laughs> but I don't think the AxiDraw wants to use a pencil to draw out the QR code. But that that will be a, a future exercise to see if I can actually draw a QR code with the AxiDraw. Uh, because it's inherently a blocky, bitmappy kind of a thing. And so I don't think it'll go well with the, the plotting. Hmm. I saw a book. Yeah, I was thinking we should have we should we should have books because we've been talking a lot about books. Yes. And I thought maybe an art book and an engineering book. So what did you bring today for I books? I brought the TTL data book, and I recommend that if you're an engineer and has anything to do with electronics, if you don't have the TTL data book for design engineers second edition, then you're missing something. And you can still get this book. You can get this book used now for about five dollars. And it's from Texas Instruments, and let's see what the year on this is. Uh, does it even have a year? Copyright 1976. That's the spirit. So it has in it, you would think that, well, this is old obsolete information. I don't need anything in here. But it looks nice on your shelf. It's a hardbound book. And it actually does have a lot of information in it about logic circuits that are still in widespread use. Now, the technology of the transistors has changed, but um, the sort of Boolean logic and what they do and the whole theory behind it and all that is, uh, and all the truth tables and all the uh, diagrams really still work. And when people actually go to design a new IC, a lot of times they actually just go back to these same schematics and they just port the design to a new technology. So nothing ever really goes away. And these designs, they, they give full schematics for what's on the ICs. And, and they even have resistors in them, and they show the resistor values. So you could really actually build these circuits, uh, and they work, which is amazing. And so everybody ought to have this book or one of the others like it. You know, Get yourself some classic book of logic gates that has schematics in it that you could actually use to build the circuits. There's another one for ECL logic uh, from Motorola that's a classic and that's still used um, to do modern microwave design is you just look up the schematic and uh, from the 1970s and you port it to your year 2020 
fabrication that's planned but not built yet. You know, you design for the new fab and uh, and you have all your circuits. And so you're real productive because you're copying. Well, what's really strikes me about this book initially is that it's very thoughtfully typeset and designed. It looks fun to use. You know, a lot of times I've seen some modern books that uh, my dad has gotten recently that are just, ugh, they're, yeah. they're, they're just horrible. I mean, the yes, the information is that you want is in there, but it hurts your mind to look at it. Yeah, they have a lot of the wall of text and a tremendous amount of boilerplate that is really out of place. It right. doesn't belong there. And these are... are yeah, well, Texas Instruments uh, was also instrumental in actually the standards for graphics mm -hmm. for um, for digital ICs. They in well, they didn't invent. They were on the committee where they decided uh, how to draw a lot of things properly, and so they put a lot of thought into how things were supposed to be drawn. And this was right in that era when data sheets started getting longer. Mm -hmm. And so it was right on the corner, right before they became sort of oppressive. This was sort of the last, this this late 1970s, early 1980s was sort of the end of really great data books. Uh, there's still some that are really good, sure, but, um, but they're rare. And th th this was really common. This was on everybody's bookshelf. They got, not all of them, but many got thrown away because it was time to throw away all the data books because it, chips were obsolete and so forth. But you should have saved one or two. And I saved a few, mm -hmm. but I didn't save the correct ones, actually. And so I got this book fairly recently. Um, I think it goes for like $5 on Amazon or something like that in the used books. It's definitely worth it. You should have one. And you can tell instantly it was not made in Word. <laughs> yes, you can. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't look like Word. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and it's better. And if you think in 1976 when this was published, I mean, this is expensive to produce. And so everything yeah. needed to be correct. And people took a lot of pride in their work. And you can you can really see that. And it's a pleasure to Yeah, I have to, to find use. the errata for it somewhere and go through with a pencil and fix all the errors. <laughs> I wonder how many there are. My guess is, is there's not there's too much. There's probably not many, but there's yeah. always going to be something. There, there'll always be a few. I'm not done with your curves book yet that you let me The Handbook time. of Curves and mm -hmm. Surfaces? Yeah, that's a good book. Yeah, so I'm, I'm still exploring it. Yeah, that, that one is really at the boundary between the, the math and the art. Mm -hmm. uh, well, he's trying to generative art i guess is what you call it where you take an equation and you generate some artwork from it yeah that that's actually quite quite useful yeah you that may become a long-term loan you may actually need that book <laughs> I'm, yeah um, i'm i'm currently studying it so yeah and i had one other book here uh oh it's on, over on the table hang on yeah okay so this is Dieter Rams, as little design as possible. So this was a designer for the company Braun in Germany. He was the vision visionary behind the design of the everyday things that Braun made. And there's it's mostly pictures of designs of coffee makers and tape recorders and radios and things that Braun made. So it was consumer gear, German high-end consumer gear. It was intended for ordinary people to be able to afford it, but they didn't always hit that. They made some outrageously expensive audio gear. 
And in some ways, it's if you think of the cliche of a de, of a German designer, it's this guy. <laughs> uh, uh, and so it's a lot of fun that way. And that he really did uh, invent not only the art and the, the form, but also the personality of the designer, I think, is mm-hmm. is him. Uh, and, and I think a lot of things like Apple products are inspired by it, the idea that things should be clean and simple and that you design them from the inside out, that you really start with what the thing does and then figure out the minimum thing that can go around it that delivers the functionality but also is something that you want to hold in your hand and use Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have any trendy designs or garish colors or big unnecessary curves in it it's just the thing right it's not about um being fashionable yeah it's trying to disappear right uh and and to not put itself forward so this book, yeah, Dieter Rams, as little design as possible, is uh, is a fun book, and it has a little essay on it that really covers the whole concept of it. That's on uh, about what page is that? Uh, Eighty-two. It's uh, what was so special about Braun design. Right, right. And so there's all the pictures in the book, and then there's about the whole kind of central point of the book is like two pages of text inside <laughs> it. But it's totally worth it to see all the. Um, all the pictures and to hear the story of the guy. His house is really interesting. He has this incredible house. He talks about how, well, yeah, design actually is expensive. And you can see why, because obviously he had to pay for his house out of all that. (laughs) 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 The the product design, you had to buy Dieter's house. There's some really beautiful photographs in here. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of good pictures. The tools are neat. Yeah, the knolling. Yes. Taking all the tools and putting them in nice, neat rows is uh, an obsession in this book. It's uh, very appealing. And they, they even know like the the archives. So they have these great warehouse full of like everything bronze ever made, like one of each, uh, which is a really cool idea. I don't think very many companies actually do that, actually keep an archive of their products. So, yeah, this is it's it. It now almost looks like a cliche, but when you realize when it was done, you realize that this was the invention of the cliche. This is the, this is the original. I'm very jealous of his workshop in his house. Yeah, he's got a workshop and he... his house is very neat and everything is knolled perfectly and there's there's plenty of room in between the tools. Right. And there's like these big open workspaces with workbenches with clear space on it and it looks like... And this library. It almost looks like no one works there. This is very clean. <laughs> um, it looks. It has a little bit of a museum look to it, uh, for my taste. But uh, I'm still. It's still. Yeah, inspires it's, jealousy. Yeah, it's it's something to aspire to. But I know that I know that mine would have a lot more dust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I think dust management is a really big deal in in woodworking. Uh, I think it's hard to do. It is. There's yeah. a lot of different sizes of the particles to deal with. All right. I'm... Yeah. So, so uh, you'll have to take a look. <laughs> I'll at have that to take book. a look at that. I like the cover too. Yeah, it's got a it's got a the paper texture. jacket on it with the texture. It's a bumpy, and we're not really sure why that is. Maybe yeah. it's like trying to be the grill of a speaker or something like that. Um, but it's a heavy book. So yeah, it actually does kind of help you. It's use it. Oh, I see. It's a use. It's, it's a an affordance. It's a uh, it's a textured grip, yes. so you don't drop the book. Because it's 
sizable. Yeah, that's a big book. A lot of book there. Cool. That's the end of Function 5. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time for Function 6.